1: Welcome to New Books in Film, a podcast on the New Books Network. I am Bill Schaefer, your host for today's episode. My guest today is Patrick French, a professor in French and vice dean at King's College London. His recent Roland Barthes film, Myth, Eroticism and Poetics, was published in 2019 by Bloomsbury. It is a comprehensively researched and finely argued book that traces Barthes' engagement with questions of cinema from early research predating the publication of mythologies to his last work, Camera Lucida, along the way responding in depth to those who have explicitly commented on Barth's musings on film and those who have been inspired by them in their own work. It demonstrates how certain critical and theoretical themes regarding the cinema emerge and develop through the course of Barth's career and argues for the singular importance of Barth's writing on film, despite or perhaps even because of the deep ambivalence that Bart sustained towards that object, from beginning to end. For me, French's book reads as a celebration of the critical virtue of an ambivalence as it is played out in Bart's permanently unsettled attitude to the object film, showing how this lasting ambivalence allowed one of the 20th century's most important and influent, influential critics to articulate perspectives on the nature and possibilities of cinema that still feel unexpected, complex, and subtle. Hello, Patrick. Hi. Hi, Bill. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to write this book on Barton film?
2: Sure, yes. Well, I'm a, I've am been a lecturer, then a reader and professor in French um, for a long time, um, PhD in 1996, 1995, 96, I think. Um, and my PhD was, um, my initial research was on the journal Télé-quel, um the kind of main um, venue as it were for. French theory and that kind of avant-garde literary practice in the 1960s and 70s. And Barthes was um, very closely connected to Telkel, wasn't a member of the Telkel group, but a kind of fellow traveler, as it were. So, so yeah, quite a lot of my work on Telkel uh, was an engage- involved an in engagement with Barthes. Um, my supervisor, as it happened, Annette Lavers, was one of the first translators of Barthes into English. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I suppose that, that that work, which subsequently publishes a book called The Time of Theory, um, involved quite a close engagement with Barthes' literary theory. Um, so, and I moved on from that, I worked on other things, Georges Bataille, for example. But um, Barthes was always, um, you know, felt close, I suppose, intellectually, um, and in other ways to Barth, um was a kind of consistent focus in my work. <clears throat> I've published on other aspects of Barthes' work. but. Um, more recently, uh I was working on a book which the previous book to this one, called Thinking Cinema with Proust, um where I was trying to read uh, Proust's novel A la recherche du temps perdu, um <clears throat> against the I suppose the history and the kind of structure and apparatus of cinema. Um I suppose it's interesting that um in the Proust's novel, which um as everyone knows, covers um uh, one's over seven volumes and is covers a, a quite substantial period in french social cultural life at uh, the early part of the 20th century um despite that at, at a time when the cinema is burgeoning as an industry there are very few if any references to cinema in proust's novel no one goes to the cinema in the novel so i suppose i was interested in the ways in which the novel despite that um uh, in which there are parallels to the experience of the cinema, in which Proust or Proust's narrator referred to proto-cinematic um, modes of vision and experience. Um, so it's a book mm. really about the way in which Proust and cinema could could be kind of put into comparison or functional competition, as I put it in the book. Um, and Barth was important to that; he was a kind of um, uh, reference in that book. And I suppose that that uh, that Provoked for me similar questions to the ones in which which I approach in this Barton film book, so as you as you mentioned the ambivalence in bart's work around the cinema was also there in this kind of approach that I took to Proust the well resistance on Proust's part to the cinema, which is I also found in barth um so that's one kind of uh, way in which I was already concerned without really knowing it at the time with uh barton cinema um and I've always been fascinated with the, some of the key texts by Barthes on the cinema. Um key essays, the Troisième the Third Meaning, um, from nineteen seventy, which no doubt we'll come to later. Um and then en sortant du Cinéma, or leaving the cinema, leaving the movie theatre. These um you know, I suppose are quite key references in film theory without without really having been looked at to my mind in, in enough detail or with enough attention to the kind of consistent approach to cinema or the consistent ambivalence, if you like, to cinema in Bart's work. Um, so yes, so that's the broad context. I suppose I work on, uh, in my research and teaching on 20th century French literature, um, critical theory. Um, I wouldn't describe myself as a specialist of film in a strict sense, but these last two books, Proust and cinema, Barth and cinema, there seems to be an orientation towards Thinking about the place of cinema in in the work of of well, Proust and Barth in this sense, in this instance, in the in the work of writers who aren't directly concerned with it or aren't filmmakers themselves. Um, yeah, that's okay. that's how I would describe myself. And what led me to the book? Okay. Well, um,
1: I imagine that you like me. Um, Barth was one of my first loves. It, it, one of the first writers who seduced me into an interest in theory. So, um. And I'm sure that's true of many people engaged with film theory. Uh, Back in the day, he was um, indispensable. Okay, so your book begins with Bart's essay on the face of Garbo, published in Mythologies, probably still the most widely read of all his books. According to you, if I understand you correctly, despite appearing in a book explicitly devoted to dismantling the myths of mass culture, this essay should actually be considered part of an implicit counter-project to poeticize rather than to demythologize that continues a tendency that you find already observable in essays published prior to mythologies, um, most of which I don't think have ever been translated to English. So I'm wondering if you can address this tension between the duty to demythologize and the desire to re-poeticize that seems to vibrate throughout Barth's writing.
2: Yes, I think uh, I put it in, in, a, in a number of times in the book. I describe this tension between, I think this is a quote from Barth himself, between. Critical language and an expressive language, um, and I think that's particularly acute in this essay on the face of Garbo. That um, and it, it also runs through other other um, other of the essays in Mythology. Um, that yes, there is this kind of there's the ideological critique that is um, that is the if you like the substantial kind of message or orientation of Mythology and. I suppose more broadly across Barthes' work of this time, um uh across all of the essays in mythology but but wider than that as well, to to which which arose, as he says in the preface to mythology, from this critical impatience with the with the um myths of his time, with the ideology with um that underpinned everyday life. Um But and you're right, you know, I put this in relation to other essays by Barthes, like Visage et Figure. Um, which has not been translated. Um, that in this essay on Garbo, he seems to be quite drawn to the face. Um, and there's a very, uh, very lucid, um, reading of Barth's work on the face in the book by Noah Stymatsky, The Face in Film, which I used in the book. So I think he's, he's attracted to the face of Garbo as a, as a, what I think he says, a kind of critical. Uh, juncture, if you like, a moment between the time with, when the face was a sacred object, as he describes the face of Rudolph Valentino, and a mm-hmm. shift towards, um, faces like that of Audrey Hepburn, which are more mobile, um, in which there is a more, a, a kind of, um, attempt to, or, or, or as he sees it, attempt to kind of, um, de, desacralize the face to make the face part of the kind of, um, Or supposedly realistic or vraisemblable representation. So I think despite appearances or despite what other critics have said, that he he talks about the face of Garbo as an idea and the face of Hepburn as an event, I think he's still quite attracted to this idea of the the sacredness of the face or at least to this moment of hesitation, if you like, between the face as sacred object and the face as, as real. And he's very... I was fascinated by the way in which he focuses in on a very slight inflection in Garbo's face, a kind of relation between the curve of the eyebrow and the nostril. Um, typic, typical, typical of Bath's delicacy, I would, I would say, in his approach to images. Um, so yes, he try, I think in that essay, he, as I put it, poeticizes. It's a poetic rewriting of, of the mythical object here. Uh, a kind of ekphrastic writing as well. He's kind of writing about an image, writing poetically about an image, and I think this this is um you know something Michael Moriarty, in his book on or Vol Bart, discerns in some of the essays in mythologie, this attempt to poetically rewrite the myth in order to take it. Away in a sense from its ideological determination. So I think there is that sense in which Barthes, in some instances in mythology, and perhaps particularly uh, in this essay on the face of Garbo, is, is a writer. Uh, I think there's this uh, movement across his work towards writing, towards you know, poetic writing, um, which becomes more and more pronounced. You know, the, one of his last lectures at the Collège de France, La Preparation du Roman. Is where he's writing about becoming a writer, how one becomes a writer, and I think it's it's there already, if you like, in this early work, in mythology. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it comes out particularly, uh, it's, it's symptomatic, if you like, that it's it's a, a film image or an image drawn from film. Of course, it's a still he's writing about, which is which is another aspect of the book, which no doubt we'll talk about further. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, you've kind of. Preempted some of the content of my next question, which is mm. I I should have anticipated. Um, one thing that struck me while I was listening to you is that uh, Bart does draw this opposition, uh, and he says in his book on himself, Roland Bart on Roland Bart, that he does have a love for creating oppositions. Um, yeah. He he creates this opposition between uh, Garbo, which you mentioned, between Garbo as idea and Audrey Hepburn as an event, um, it's really quite incredible. When you reread these texts, you think you've understood them, but I saw so much that I hadn't seen when I read it years ago. Um, particularly, you mentioned that, that, that discussion of the, the subtle play between Gabo's, uh, the curve of her, uh, her mouth and the, yeah. the shape of her eyebrows, which I suppose he takes as suggesting a kind of, a sense of stylization or design in the living flesh of her face. Yes, um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, a little bit more perhaps about that um, somewhat enigmatic um, opposition between idea and event and the way that it's been received. Uh, people seem to, different writers seem to assume that he's championing one or the other. Uh, I would think that it's that he's actually most drawn to Garbo precisely because of that sense of sense of hieratic distance that, yes. that her face evokes for him, and yes. uh, maybe you could also, in that context, talk a little bit about your discussion of Blanchot's um, analysis of the corpse as exhibiting a deeply disconform, disconcerting form of resemblance that resembles nothing.
2: Yes, I think Bath is very um, subtly, um, and and sometimes it is. You know, it's, it's it's easy to pass over these things he's subtly trying to introduce a kind of um uh, difference or fracture in a sense between between the image and our reception of it as it were which is um just I suppose is, is i think akin and i think i i there's no direct evidence of this but i think blanchot's essay um two versions of the imaginary would have been very um been a reference for Bath at this point. Um, this sense in which the image is, sense of the strangeness of the image. Um, I think that that comes through quite a lot in Bath's approach to images. The ways in which he wants to take them aslant or I suppose you know, he might use the word déjoué to kind of, which is difficult to translate, but to kind of uh, subvert in a sense or outplay, do something different with the image. So I think that's that it might be a good way to describe what's going on with Bath's approach to the face of Garbo, um, in which it doesn't have the kind of sacred distance, if you like, or the, the kind of, um, remoteness and unapproachability, if you like, of the face as sacred object or the mask, if you like, of, which I think is his approach to Valentino. Um, I think the anthropological register, the work of Levi Strauss, for example, would have been, would have been kind of close in his mind at this time um, but yeah it's it's that kind of trembling if you like of the image of the face of Garbo in the gesture or the physiognomy the the gestural physiognomy of Garbo's face that Barthes tries to introduce there and I think um, yeah other critics um, I should mention uh, the book by Philip Watts that all on Barthes cinema um, in which I think Watts in a way goes along with the Interpretation of this in which, according to which, Bach would be championing the kind of move towards greater mobility of the face, a greater kind of realism of the face in cinema. Um, but yeah, on the contrary, I think um, he's attracted to the the face of Garbo as this um, yeah, subtle moment of trembling, if you like, between the face as sacred object and the face as everyday object. Um, yeah, I think there are other aspects of your question which I've which you might have to remind me of. Oh, that,
1: that seems sufficient to me. If, if that's okay with you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you begin the second chapter of your book by discussing Bart's rarely mentioned early writing for the Review Internationale Filmology yeah. uh, prior to his subsequent shift to a more generalized engagement with the mass media and the methods of semiology as they apply to texts in general. Yes. Already in this early writing, you discern an unresolved tension and this, again, you've to some extent, You've already anticipated this question, but I'll go on. You discern an unresolved tension between the aspiration to formulate a rigorous critical discourse and a more playful inclination towards expressive language, yeah. which it occurs to me might be seen as reflecting an unwillingness on his part to finally commit either to the, the- to theory or the essay form, that is, on the one hand, to a discourse that typically wants to suppress subjectivity, and the other to a form that tends to place the subjectivity of the author. At the at center stage, yes. So if you want yeah, to address so, that,
2: yeah, sure. I think that the filmology moment is, as you say, it's not had a huge amount of critical attention. Um, it's quite a strange, I think, quite a strange uh, moment in, in the in, in French intellectual life in terms of film theory, film studies. Um, even though it lasts, you know, the the review itself, the group lasts quite a long time, and it attracts quite prominent people. And Barthes is involved in it in a, a few essays that's, that are published in the group, but um, in, in the review itself. But yes, I think it's it is quite a strange moment in the sense that, um, as I said previously, in some of the essays in *Déluge*, Barthes has, you know, he has quite a journalistic style. I suppose he's addressing specific objects. There is, as I said, this uh, uh, quite expressive language. Which is not putting himself centre stage as a subject, as Roland Barthes myself, but as a, as a reader of images, and as a writer. Um, But whereas the essays for the Filmology Review are a bit more austere, a bit more scientific in their orientation, um, it's worth adding that the Filmology movement, as as perhaps the name suggests, was um, had very little in the way of attention to specific films or specific filmmakers. It was an attempt to study the phenomenon of film from a sociological angle, I suppose, influenced by um the Frankfurt School by Krakauer, for, I think, for example. Um so in some ways it's a bit as if Barthes is not not fully um yeah, there is an ambivalence in his relation to that group um and to the austerity of that. There's a kind of um we'll come to this later as well, there's a kind of a mismatch if you like between the ethos of Cahiers du Cinema, which is uh, quite a prominent film review of the time, and Filmology. There was a kind of um, lack of dialogue between those two mm-hmm. kind of cine, cinephilic and cinephobic movements, in a sense. Um But Barth's contributions to the Revue de Filmologie come at a time when I think he is developing this, in his work, this movement towards a more yeah, rigorously a more scientifically grounded, more theoretically grounded language. It's kind of parallel to the development of his of semiology. Um going back to mythology, the kind of addition of the final essay to that book, the Myth aujourd'hui, myth today, where he goes back to Saussure and establishes the kind of um reestablishes the ground rules for semiological method. I think so, towards the end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s, there's this movement in Bart's work where he's, um, yeah, to setting setting down the ground rules for semiological method, which does lead to a more methodological approach, in which the, if you like, expressive language seems to wane somewhat. Um, but uh, you know, I think both both aspects of Bart's work, the critical and the expressive language, or the theoretical language and the um expressive language exists side by side all the time. It's just that in different works and in different perhaps in different moments, one comes to the fore. and I think in the etphemology essays and the early writings for communication um, this is this is what's um dominant um but yes i i, I think you're right that there is still this kind of hesitation perhaps in Bart's work between around this um, critical language, which um as he says in Roland Barthes par Roland Barthes, he, he seems to consistently want to displace himself as soon as his language becomes fixed or reified as any kind of doxa. And I think uh, that's what happens with phonology, and to some extent with semiology as
0: well. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe,
1: Right. Okay. So, even in this early work, Bart already raises the problem of the very possibility of a semiological study of film. Yes. Uh, given the apparent impossibility of isolating or identifying minimal arbitrary signifying units comparable to phonemes in language, uh, a problem that gets played out very clearly in the Christ- career of Christian Metz and others. Yeah. This is perhaps inseparable from the deep and ongoing problem for Bart of responding to cinemas status as what he calls an analogon, the the, the quality of overwhelming and immediate resemblance which allows it to stick to the referent in a relation of pseudo-nature. But says that film is less read than lived as an imminent experience. He also theorizes a specific form of trauma, and this is, I had never come across this work before, that arises for viewers and presumably also critics and theorists. In attempting to verbally articulate their experience of film, yeah, and uh, this, this this account of tra- trauma seems to bring us close to one of the registers of, of Bart's ambivalence towards film—that it is a f- troubling object insofar as it is diachronic, irreducibly diachronic, and defies the immobility assumed by description and/or analysis—but also in precisely in that regard provocative, insofar as it approaches. And I don't know how to pronounce this properly. A uh in Chris Davis' yeah. sense, the yeah. level at which codes that determine and fix meanings are not already closed and established, and that's a theme throughout uh, Bart's work on film and elsewhere. The, 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 the attempt to articulate um, signifiance. Can you talk about this analysis of cinematic trauma and the ways you show it prefigure elements of Bart's later work on film?
2: Yes, I think I agree that the. Um... The essay that he that about one of the essays that Bath proposed for the Revue de Filmologie, um I forget the full title for the moment, but the, on the traumatic units in the cinema, um, is extremely curious and interesting, and it's true, it hasn't received a lot of attention. Um I don't think he means well, we might be confused by the term trauma. I don't think he means trauma in the sense in which we might think of it today in the in the strictly psychoanalytic sense or psychological sense. But more That kind of, um, element of a, uh, scene of a, of a cinematographic scene, which the viewer can't quite, doesn't quite fit with the spectators. Um, they can't, they can't name it. Um, there's something about the scene, which is troubling, as you said, um, so it's already about there is adopting an approach, which I think is consistent across his work, to try and identify that element which is troubling or that element which can't be explicitly named, which doesn't fit with the code um, or the codes of reception, if you like. Um, and yeah, it's an it's an early attempt to try and grasp and provide some kind of analytic purchase or even writerly purchase, perhaps, on that uh, aspect of signifiance, the kind of Meaning that goes beyond what can be named or what can be codified, um, and yeah, so I think that that um, there is that sense in which what what he's attracted to, what he's trying to grasp, is the troubling object or the or what troubles in the scene, and that does that that sticks out, if you like, to use another Barthesian motif, something that's as he writes in a another a later essay on Bataille called Les Sorties du Texte from The verb sortir, something that sticks out, in the troubling sense, um, also perhaps as a phallic register to that. But but we can come to that later, maybe. Um, yes. So it's it's that that consistent um, orientation or that consistent drive or desire, even to try and tackle to kind of take on what 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 can't be named, what kind of uh, what appears as subjectively or analytically different or unassimilable um, i think you can see that in the punctum later for example in the obtuse part so there's a very you know you could uh, this work hasn't been done but i think it'd be very interesting to think about the relations between that essay on the traumatic units of cinema to his approach later to the the, the stills from eisenstein that he analyzes in the third meaning um, but i suppose it maybe it's worth adding that it's under quite different conditions so filmology movement did these undertook these um what they called thematic film tests. Um <clears throat> and this is one instance of Bath's kind of involvement um or or not direct involvement but interest in 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 the practice of film um although these this is under very artificial conditions. These thematic film tests where for example a couple would be filmed and they'd be instructed to <clears throat> relate to each other in different ways to talk to each other in different ways, and the spectators of these film tests would be invited to try and name or interpret or describe what they saw. So, you know, this is a, a artificial film test that Bath is referring to um, in this essay on the traumatic units to signify of cinema. Um, which is obviously different from his analysis of film stills from Eisenstein later.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and so now we arrive at chapters three and four, where you uh, discuss one of Bart's most famous essays on film, which you've just mentioned, which is the third meaning. Yeah. Um, in that essay, Bart discerns three levels of meaning in a series of stills extracted from Eisenstein's films, and which I think were published in Cahiers de Cinema. Yeah. Uh, the first is the informational. The second is the symbolic, which I, I think he later labels as obvious. Yes. And a third, which he says holds him, and which he certain, associates with certain signifying accidents, and he calls the obtuse meaning. Yes. Uh, could you run us through your understanding of these distinctions and the theoretical value of the third meaning as a uniquely in Bhartian innovation?
2: Yes. I think this, this essay, the third meaning, is, is- Fascinating. And as you say, seminal, seminal in film theory, um, <clears throat> published in Kaidi Cinema. I think it's important, as you noted, that the stills which Bart is analyzing are, are not still, not stills that, or not photograms. Perhaps we'll come to that distinction later. Mm-hmm. That he's chosen himself, but ones which have appeared in previous essays in Kaidi Cinema, which at the time were had been publishing a, you know, in each issue, there was a selection of translations of Eisenstein's writings into French and essays on Eisenstein in this kind of quite politicized, um, Marxist oriented moment of KD Cinema in the late 60s, early 70s. So, Bart is, it's also a kind of a critical discourse on KD Cinema as well as on Eisenstein. But yes, he, um, he makes this distinction between the three, th- these three levels information, symbolic or obvious meaning, and the third meaning, third or obtuse meaning, as he puts it. Um, He's not interested in the first two levels at all, really. Um, And in fact, in some ways, it's quite difficult to distinguish between what he means by information, um, the information of the image, and the symbolic meaning of the image. What he's really interested in is the distinction that he draws between the obvious meaning and the obtuse meaning, uh, or the second-order meaning of the symbolic and the third meaning. Um, and so the second meaning, the symbolic or obvious meaning, is um, very much linked to the intention of the filmmaker the, or the intention of the film. It's what the film wants us to receive, as it were, in the sense of the fictional diegesis of the film or the ways in which it appeals to or relates to symbolic codes. So, for example one of the, the first image that I think he writes about, which is that of the the, the coronation of the Tsar, um, the, the symbolism of gold, the symbolism of coronation. Um, that's what he picks out first. Um, but yes, as you said, there's something else that holds him. And this is again where, where the subjectivity, where Bath's subjectivity comes into play. It's something that holds him. So you can, almost as if he embodies himself as a viewer, as a spectator, held in front of the image, something again which troubles him to go back to the traumatic unit. There is a sense of continuity there between this troubling traumatic unit and this aspect of the image which holds him. Um, So yes, what is the obtuse meaning? Um, And here it's, um, one could be very easily tempted to think that it's what holds him, what holds Barth himself. It's something that appeals to his specific, to the subject that he is, that he Roland Barth is. So, for example, you might think that there's what what holds him or what troubles him in the first image is the is the the plasticity, in a sense, of the film of the image, the face again of one of the courtiers. It's so often the face as well, but not, not only. So there's something about Barthes as subject which is attracted to or troubled by a particular formation of the face. Um, it's curious that when he writes about the face of the courtier in that Eisenstein still, he, he describes it using this French phrase, poudre de riz, which is kind of, face, a kind of face powder made of rice powder, but something about the whiteness of the face attracts him. So perhaps one might be led to think there's something in Barth's own subjective experience in his own memory, that that is determining that, that it's a, a kind of almost Proustian recollection from his own past, perhaps connected to his mother, who he also refers to as in relation to this idea of the poudre de Poudre de Rie, this kind of face powder. Um, but I don't think it's just that. I think there's he's also trying to found a kind of theory, if you like, of this troubling tuse meaning. He's not only saying there's this subjective element, which is about my experience, my past, my memory. As he says, we may not be able to talk about it, we may not be able to name it, but we can understand each other in relation to it. It's a kind of interlocution, he says, around this obtuse meaning. Um, And it's very, again, a very subtle, um, typically of Barthes, um, a very subtle direction which he takes, which is to say that there's something about the... uh, another of the images that that troubles him of the face of um, a woman in uh, Eisenstein's battleship Potemkin. Hmm. Um, He's interested in the whole sequence, the whole mourning sequence so that a sailor has been killed um, and the crowd is mourning and Eisenstein's film, which is very fascinating to watch the film um, in, in continuity as it were in relation to what Bath says about it and the stills. But There's something about this face in a particular frame, particular photogram, so a particular kind of split second instant, which has been captured in the still, which again, holds him. And he says it's where her, there's something again about the curve of the eyebrows in relation to the curve of the mouth, which for him says something, there's something clown-like about it. So even though the image of this woman is, um, she's in mourning, so there's a, Obviously, the, the whole thematics and mood of it is tragic. Something he says derisory about it. It's as if her face is disguised by her suffering to the point of being derisory, or to the point of becoming looking more like a mask. Um, and I use the phrase in my in my account of it: the becoming mask of the image. Um, and I think that's that that aspect which I think where he locates the obtuse. It's this way in which the film is somehow announcing its own artificiality which is again unsticking itself from this um analogous resemblance in which we can't we can't help but view it as something lived um or as was li- living the experience it's a moment at which we we are provoked to step back from it and see it as a film or as an image but i suppose the you know the key and quite tricky um point there is that Bart is writing this about a still, about a, uh, a photogram, um, so a, a single frame taken out of the film, um, rather than the film in sequence. So his theory of film here, or what he calls the filmic, is completely counterintuitively and perhaps very paradoxically, a film or a theory of the still image, and he I think he pushes this quite far to say that a theory of the, a theory of film, a theory of the filmmaker, has to start with the photogram, has to start through this, from this kind of analytic moment of the um, critique and, and writing on the, the, the still image, the photograph, which no doubt well we might come to later too. Yeah.
1: So once again, I seem to have um, managed to write questions that you fully anticipate in your answers to the previous question.. Um, yeah. Let me just look at this for a moment. Uh, In discussing the suffering old woman who is mourning the death of, I think it's um, Valanchuk, he tells us that he perceives that a disruptive force that is staked on the excessive mass of her hair. And Mm. this might remind us of the heavy burden we've already seen carried by a perceived relationship, as you've just pointed out, or resonance between details, in particular the mouth and eyebrows, in the face of Garbo. Yeah. Um, and in a quite oracular irac- fashion, he tells us that, that the third meaning is, which is dependent on st- these almost imperceptible details, or, or not even on details, but on the play between details. Yes. Uh, in- interior to the image, which is a-, a very different approach where we normally talk about, uh, in film theory, people talk about relations between different moments of the image, but this is yes. a-, a relationship interior to a single frame. Yes. Um, he suggests that this this tiny moment is suggestive, in his words, of the crucial problem of our time, and that it belongs to tomorrow's polity. Which mm. uh, I, I wonder if you could talk about this apparently hyperbolic weighting of almost imperceptible details, not only in this essay but throughout past yes. work, work on film.
2: Yes, you're right. It is hyperbolic. Um, the, the 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 idea that the, this tension between different fragments or, or what, what Eisenstein I think called an accentuation within the fragment within within the still or relation between fragments within the still it's quite hyperbolic to stake the you know an approach to tomorrow's politics on these this relation between fine details um but I think it's useful to think of of the context in which Barthes is writing this um, in Cahiers, um, in 1970 so as I said this is a moment when Cahiers was quite was quite heavily politicized, um, moving towards a perhaps increasingly austere approach to film, which seemed to, in a way, evacuate the, f- the film as an object and move towards more of its, its ideological determinations. Um, so, yes, Kaye, in this uh, Marxist and then very kind of Maoist movement, very closely uh, interrelated with Telkel, the Telkel group at the time, um, despite some uh, arguments and, and kind of dissonances between Cahiers and Telkel. So Barthes is writing this in the context of a kind of, um, again, post-68 um, emphasis on uh, politicized theory or the politicization of theory. Um, so to, to say that, um, to talk about the politics of tomorrow um, is very resonant and, and Again, typically Barthesian to talk about that in the context of uh, you know this this consistent emphasis on Eisenstein as a political um, Soviet filmmaker um, in the context of Telkel and Kaye um, emphasis on Marxist theory on Marxist philosophy and then Maoist philosophy in Telkel as well to for Bath to say that the politics of tomorrow is staked upon this fine relation between details within the frame is is again a kind of I think perhaps motivated by a wish to displace himself, to to introduce a different voice. In this sense, in this sense, a kind of voice of subtlety, perhaps to try and um, perhaps distance himself or displace himself in relation to the what at the time might be called the longue de bois, a kind of um, you know, the kind of orthodox voice of politicized theory. Um, and yes, it's interesting that, as you say, he he he's doing this on the basis of relation between details rather than uh focusing on the question of montage um which is key to, for key for eisenstein um and so he's running completely counter in a way to the whole kind of um uh direction of travel of K.E. theory and um eisenstein's work itself um even though i think the third meaning will be taken up and used Quite extensively and productively, by Cahiers critics such as Pascal Bonitzer, um, Jean-Louis Comolli, and others. Sylvie um, Pierre might come to. So, yes, um, it's it's interesting as well that it's a it's a moment. It's what well, I think perhaps a quite rare moment in Barth's work where he he's trying to negotiate a relationship between his own critical and expressive language and his own critical orientation and um, the politics of the time. I think it's might be seen interestingly in relation to his attitude towards nineteen sixty eight, where towards the the student revolt of May sixty eight, Paris, in France. Um where again he f- he said that this is not specifically relation to film, but I think it is relevant. Um he says that what attracted him was not the the politics of the the events itself, but the graffiti and the the what he called the savage inscriptions on the the walls of Paris. So he's He's interested in a yeah more subtle more um, well that notion of sauvage of the wild writing or savage writing of trying to perhaps grasp something that in contemporary language might be called a more affective element in the image. So in the image of the the morning woman um, in in Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin or in other images focused on the mass of hair of the woman or the tassels um, that are of the hair of one of the other mourning women what i think he says that it these details introduce what he calls a sentimental aspect so it's almost scandalous in a sense at the time for him for Bath to be kind of highlighting and affirming and staking a critical claim on the, this on the sentimental but i think that 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 makes a lot of sense in terms of his trajectory um, this critical trajectory from from SZ, for example, in 1969, 1970, the analysis of the short story by Balzac towards the pleasure of the text, 1973, Roland Barthes by Roland Barthes, fragments of a lover's discourse. So there's this movement towards the affective or an attempt to negotiate between the affective elements of a text or a film or an image um, and the the kind of, yeah, the political
1: aspect. Okay. Um- so my next question you, you've also already answered, which was precisely about the way that uh, Bart somewhat scandalously suggests that the essence of the film can be found uh, only in stills and not in the what we, would normally be taken to be the natural state of cinema as a moving in, image. So yes. I'll skip that and I'll just move on since you've just mentioned um, a certain kind of savagery. Um, yeah. Bart's reference to Bataille's analysis of the big toe, mm. which uh Bataille analyses as definitive of humanity from the perspective of a base materialist understanding of evolution. Yeah. So uh, any comments you have to make about that would be fascinating.
2: Yes, yeah. Um, um in fact I'm working on, on the on on the status and role and place of Bataille in 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 Cahiers du cinéma at this time, which um is in a sense inaugurated by Barthes' reference to it. Um, it's very interesting that, that the kind of relation the, the the place of Bataille in French theoretical writing of this time um, and in Barthes' work in particular, um, so so Bataille's oeuvre complète, uh, first, well, the first few volumes of, of those had just been published in France in 1970 um, with uh, Denis Ollier um, as one of the prime movers behind that. Um, prefaced by Michel Foucault as well. Um, so Bataille uh, also mainly through the um, through the work of Telkel earlier in the 60s had, was was becoming a more prominent figure, more prominent reference point. Um, there been work earlier, essays by, by Barthes, uh, a an analysis of Bataille's Story of the Eye from 1963. Barthes' essay 1963. An essay by Derrida. So Bataille has this um, you know, increasingly prominent place in French theory at the time, but um, it's almost exclusively, well, with the exception of Bath's essay on Story of the Eye, Bataille's post-war work, which is at stake there. Um, so, Bath's reference back to Bataille's Big Toe essay, which is from Document, the Review Document, in 1929, um, is quite surprising. Um, Bath would go on um, in 1972, so two years later, to devote an essay called "Des Sorties du Text, or the Outcomes of the Text, as it's been translated, to devote an essay specifically to Bataille's Big Toe. Um, but yeah, it's again this kind of um, wish to try and uh, locate or to highlight, to affirm something exorbitant in the image, something again which is troubling, which doesn't Fit which sticks out whence that title is sortie du text um, and I think reading Bataille's big toe essay with Barthes or with Bart's essay the third meaning is very interesting in the sense that it's not it's not that Bataille or Barthes are interested in the big toe as such in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's more that it doesn't it's a kind of aspect of the body which is uh, which um, troubles structure and structurally disturbs. The the more the photogenia of the image, if you like, the, the which structurally disturbs the face, the beauty of the face, if you like. So if you think about the face of Garbo in relation to Bataille's big toe or the photos by Boifard that Bataille is writing about there, that's it's that structural kind of or um uh, a disturbance in the in the relation between those two aspects, the beauty of the face and the physical protuberance, if you like, of the big toe that that I think Bath wants to wants to wield there, wants to kind of bring into both to kind of um again isolate what sticks out, what what troubles the image, what um something that disturbs its photogenic um aspect. Um but also introduce in, to introduce this kind of again, wild um other reference into the discourse of film theory, um, which again as i as I mentioned i've been working on this recently, kind of is taken up in Cahiers, particularly by Pascal Bonitzer. Um, uh I developed I point towards this a bit in in the Barton film book um, in which bataille but then becomes a, a intermittent reference in Cahiers' film theory um so yeah, and I think i don 't know bataille is the relation between Barton and bataille is quite uh Subtle again. Bath doesn't fully espouse the idea of Bataille as this um, kind of subversive, abject theorist of abjection. But Moore picks on here the way in which Bataille also, with, in, in quite subtle ways, um, unsettles uh, orthodox structures.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I, I, have, I have a series of quite detailed questions about your next chapter, which um, mm. responds to responses. Uh, made by other authors to the third meaning, yep. but I do want to make sure that we at least get to leaving the theatre so rather yep. than go through all my questions I'll just yep. ask you if, if you want to say anything particular about any of those essays or uh, responses by Pierre or Didi Huberman or Carrasco or Kunstel.
2: Yes, yeah okay, well and I suppose this chapter I was trying to, um, you're given, given the uh, prominence of Barth's essay, The Third Meaning to try and give some kind of a picture of the the ways in which it had been taken up. Um, I won't go over them in detail, but I think you know, Pierre um, is a Cahiers crit- critic of the time, and she she proposed a very um, she wrote a very important essay, I think, called Elements for a Theory of the Photogram, which was kind of working on the back of Barthes' Third Meaning essay. But she's quite critical of Barthes in a sense. She says that um, the photograms, the stills that Barthes is writing about, are are not photograms in a strict sense, From a, for a fully photogrammatic approach, one would need to take any, any photogram, any frame, so even frames in which the, the camera is kind of blurred between one or the, the image is blurred between one, one identifiable object and another, kind of, um, and even frames in which nothing discernible appears, in which there's nothing very obvious to say about it so i think she wants she's she radicalizes Barth's approach um again using bath as a kind of support for this um and i think that's it's it's um i thought it was important to note that um again pierre's essay hasn't been although it's been quite recently translated um i don't think it's been um had the recognition it deserves um Similarly, I think Raymond Carrasco, I was very interested in the way in which she engaged with Barth's work, um, as a filmmaker herself, but also as a critic. Um and um I, Carrasco is very also very significant in that she she provides a way of engaging Bath with Deleuze, um, who, as we know, kind of later in the <coughs> in the eighties, kind of kind of revolutionized film theory or film philosophy in France with his two books on cinema, which in which there's very little reference to Bart in the t- printed text and there is a sense in which Deleuze doesn't either doesn't quite get Bart or just doesn't in which that there is a kind of divorce in a sense between Deleuze's approach which is very much attentive to the moving image the moving the image in the sense that it mo- that it, there is movement in it and the image in the sense that there is that time passes so not Deleuze is not really interested In his philosophy of film in the still or the photogram. Um, so Carrasco, who, who attended Deleuze's seminars and who in the recordings of those seminars that one can access, there is a kind of, um, the transcriptions of those recordings. There is a very interesting interchange between Carrasco and Deleuze precisely about Barthes and Deleuze's, um, Interpretation of Bath. So that was that was that's the main content, if you like, of that section of that chapter is the, the dialogue, if you like, between Bath and Deleuze via Kaskel. Um Yes, and I pe- perhaps might pick focus, but say something particularly about the section of that chapter on Didier Übermann, um who, mm-hmm. in one of his recent books, um, "Perplein Arme, Perplein L'Arme, not translated yet, I don't think. There is a quite substantial um, chapter. On Barthes and on Barthes' approach to film and to the image in general, which is very useful and very um rich in its assessment of of Barthes whole approach to the cinema um but Didberman is quite um i think unjustly critical of Barthes there saying that Barthes in his in his approach to Eisenstein in that essay is is violent in his. Denigration of Eisenstein. Um, I don't think that's true. I think, um, detail of that chapter, you'll see that I think it's evident that Barthes is more appreciative of Eisenstein's subtlety. Um, again, um, so yes, there's more, there's, yeah, quite a lot in that chapter. Thierry Kunzel, I, I think, is also under an under appreciated writer on film and filmmaker. So both Casco and Kunzel kind of, um, develop. Out of their familiarity and uh, knowledge of Bart's work on film, their own film practice um, in ways that's very interesting, and I think deserves further work. Um, yes, so that that chapter is a kind of uh, bridging chapter in a sense, um, kind of focusing on the the receptions of the third meaning essay and its usage in not so much in in anglophone film theory, but in in French French film theorists and French filmmakers.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just say in passing that one of the things that I most enjoyed was seeing that Kunsthal uh, actually raised the question of animation, which mm. is so often completely neglected by people who want to stipulate the ontology of film in terms of photography and the index and the, the, action of the, chemical, the chemical action of emulsion in capturing yes. the trace of a moment uh, as if animation somehow didn't entirely belong to film. Which is something at least Deleuze acknowledges. Yes. But yeah. I'll move on to uh, the next and also quite famous and beautiful essay by Bart about cinema, which is called uh, "Leaving the Theater." Yeah. Um. And I'll just say, first of all, that one thing that struck me immediately on reading this is that it's almost unbearably poignant mm. in, uh, in the in the era of COVID nineteen when. Uh, yes. When- yeah when we can't go to the cinema anymore and he's evoking right. this diffusive eroticism of, uh, of being amongst anonymous bodies and, and the color yes. of darkness and so on and, and all of these things. Are, uh, unfortunately, who knows whether they'll be part of our experience of cinema in the future. Yes. Um, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, yes. Um, so it struck me that in some ways this, is, this essay represents the kind of the height of Bart's ambivalence. Um, in regard to the cinema, just as we've seen that he finds the essence of the filmic in a still rather than a moving image. He he evokes his own passion for uh, investing in the situation of the actual auditorium, the the color of darkness, the the bodies, the light playing behind his back, rather than with the um, moving image, which one would normally assume would be the center of any approach to film. Um, Yes. he, He... evokes hypnotism, Uh, he he says that his experience of film is uh, like nothing more than the experience of hypnotism, which he then um, associates with healing and with music as a healing force. But then he goes on to, as as I see it, radically switch tack to um, identify cinema very closely with the operations of ideology. Uh, even to the point of saying that cinema is ideology, and ideology is the cinema of a society. Yeah. And uh, finally, he paradoxically suggests that the best way to unstick oneself from the screen, from the from the um, hypnotising force of the analogon, is not to be armed with a critical discourse, the kind of discourse that we would think that Bart himself um, teaches us how to use, but yeah. to indeed to invest in this total situation of yeah. the cinema itself so any thoughts you have on that
2: yeah well i think it's very interesting that you started by evoking our current situation with the pandemic um and the closure or evacuation if you like of these kind of spaces because i think um i suppose one could say that you know with 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 the advent of digital images and different ways of viewing cinema that 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 was already starting to be the case but you know obviously it's it's becomes more extreme with the uh, with the pandemic, um, but you're right that Barth is. I trace this back to his early writings as well. He's what he seems interested in here. Um, before I come to the ideological aspect, the ideological argument is the is the situation of the cinema and the social space of the cinema as a space with the idea of the of people, if you like. So in his earlier writings on film, in the first chapter. I wrote about the ways in which, as well as this focus on the face, there is this constant reference to the importance, if you like, of the people. This is more, more um, what he's interested in there. More is 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 the theatre, theatre as a space of the people, of a popular theatre, as he as he put it, in his involvement with the théâtre populaire movement. But he does also touch on the kind of cinema as a space of the people, on the the, the popular ritual of. Going to the cinema on Saturdays, um, for example, um, and I think this is echoed in the in the leaving the movie theatre essay, where he he's interested in the situation of the cinema as a social space, as a as a space of, if in, if not of the people, but of people, of other people, other bodies. Um, here, though, it's more the erotic and uh, potentially queer aspects that Bath is accentuating. The possibility of it's almost a kind of cruising situation um in which these anonymous bodies are there in the cinema and there's a there's a he talks about it as a, as a um as a as a space of potential eroticism if not actual eroticism um but that you're right that that's kind of um that's what he uses to kind of uh offset or displace uh his kind of critical argument in this essay which is Yes, that the cinema is ideology. That the cinema is is a form of hypnosis. That um, that is healing in the sense of comforting, or um, reducing, if you like, what might be critical about the kind of melancholy of the of the spectator. Um, he writes about the lure of the screen in a in a language that's very um, very uh, informed by Bath's increasing. Uh, uh interest, if you like, in psychoanalysis and in Lacanian psychoanalysis particularly of the time. Um um so yes, the screen is a lure, it's 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 something that, like a hypnotic object, um, the gaze is stuck to it. Um so it's a very um it's very resonant with other other essays in the in the journal issue Communication, which, to which it is a contribution. Um by Jean-Louis Baudry, for example, um, Christopher and Christian Metz and others, which is very, very much uh, critical of the cinema or, or emphasizing the cinema as an ideological um, uh, trap, if you like, a trap for the gays, um, using a lot of psychoanalytic um, vocabulary and concepts taken, drawn from Lacan, um, particularly from Lacan's uh, seminar of 1964, I think, for fundamental concepts of psychoanalysis, Um, the analysis of the gaze there, the look and the gaze. So yeah, but the screen is a lure. The gaze is stuck to it. One needs to unstick the gaze. And yes, not surprisingly, not through this kind of Brechtian critical discourse. But doesn't mention uh, a filmmaker like Godard, but um, I think that's, you know what we might think he, he might have in mind uh, this notion of a kind of brechtian cinema which is kind of tempting to unstick the gaze from a from a a, a less psychological perhaps less melodramatic less um less vraisemblable picture of, of the real um so not through that critical discourse but through this attention to the um, situation of the room in a sense to the the way in which the the projector's light is playing, you know, is playing in the room to the to the kind of materiality, if you like, of the 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 light and the the situation of the cinema. Um, so it's almost, you know, it, interestingly, could be the basis of a more kind of experimental avant-garde kind of filmmaking, which is stressing the kind of grain grain of the image, just to use a Bartesian motif. There's a the grain of the voice is another. Um, Interview, I think, with Bath. He uses that phrase. So, yes, it's in a way quite an extreme essay this turning away of the gaze, this unsticking of the gaze by tending to the bodies around, but the bodies in that space, to the structure and physicality of the space as well. Um, but I also, it's interesting that um, this is something I found fascinating in my search for the book, for this chapter in particular, that Bath's approach, Bath's vocabulary, even in this section, is extremely close to what he's writing at the same time, or what he's speaking at the same time in his seminar on the lover's discourse, the *École pratique des hautes which is in a parallel, coincident with this, where he's writing about the, the scene of ravishment, um, the the ravishment uh, of the loving subject by the the love object, which he also describes as a kind of in in as a kind of hypnosis, as a kind of uh, hypnotizing of the subject through this kind of framed image. So there are points in the uh, Sortant du Cinema essay and the seminar on the lover's discourse where the two texts kind of almost kind of can be superimposed on one another. Um, and so he's using the same terms, the same concepts to describe the lure the of the cinema screen to the lure or hypnotizing or ravishment um, of the lover by the love, love object. So um, it's curious, I think, that Bast is describing cinema and love with this, in the same breath, in a sense. Um, so it, there is a sense in which he's also, perhaps I, didn't, I could have accentuated this more in the book, he's also quite, um, again, poetically rewriting. He's kind of interested and excited by the idea of this ravishment in the cinema um, by a kind of framed image that, that, is, um, that captures him as a spectator or as a subject. Um, the difference is that he says in the lover's discourse that, that it's a it's not a continuous image. It's almost it's not a static image. It's almost as if it's a kind of image sequence um which captures him rather than the continuity of film. Um yeah. So yeah, there's more a lot more to say about that, I think. It's a really fascinating essay. Um even though it's quite short.
1: Hmm. It's fecund vacu-
2: vacu- Yeah.
1: Okay, so unfortunately we've already gone over an hour. So I don't think we'll be, yeah, we won't be able to address your final two chapters, which um, concern Camera Lucida and Bart's dual quest to regain his mother and to define the essence of photography. Yeah. Uh, Or the final chapter, which um, concerns his letter to Antonioni. Yeah. It's, um, It's probably the only time where Bart does the, traditional film theorist gesture of affirming an auteur's entire body of work. Um, yes. Yes. But if you want to say something briefly uh, that yeah. you think okay. is necessary about those two, that, that would be wonderful.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, the sixth chapter, I think on camera lucida, um, I think a lot of the motifs I've already touched on are kind of very um, evident in that chapter. It's a, it's a very complex argument um, that he, in, in the book in which he he starts off by saying, you know, I like photography at the expense of cinema, but I found it difficult mm. to separate the two. So I use that as a way of saying, tracing both the distinction that he makes between the photograph and the film. Um, I think one of the key things to accentuate is this idea that what he finds difficult in film is the way that it it um, it presents a view of the world which is in the same constitutive style, that's his phrase or a quotation from Husserl, in fact, we see the film in the same constitutive style as the, as the reel itself. So it's difficult to, he says that that means that it's, we can't establish this distance from it or it can't, it moves too quickly. It doesn't touch him because if there's something in the image that, that he might, might lead him to think, Um, it's already passed. It's already moved on to another image. So the screen is occupied by something else. So it doesn't allow him this time to think to become what he calls and which other critics like Laura Mulvey have taken up. It doesn't allow him to become a pensive spectator. Um, But yeah, again, um, back to ambivalence, there's this sense in which um, uh, there are moments in Camera Lucida where, where he picks up on film images um, particularly a film image from Fellini's Casanova um with amazingly Donald Sutherland playing Casanova dancing with an automaton where he says that this sequence wounds him with a particular acuity um so despite what he says he's still about you no know, lot liking cinema he picks on filmic examples um to uh to carry his argument um but yes i think that's that's um again i suppose the the overall message of that chapter is that despite being a book about photography it's nevertheless commissioned as a book about film and in some ways it is very much a book about film um about the film image as well um with the same tension between the moving image and the still image that 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 spans across his all of his work on film um and the final chapter on t- on antonionia kind of used the uh, i think one of Bath's final texts that he was was in his typewriter um, when he died, um, his letter to Antonioni. I um, use that as a kind of excuse in a way to to think of Antonio's, Antonioni as a kind of case study to point to the ways in which uh, Barthes was quite affirmative of Antonioni across his career, even though there are um, scattered, scattered references. Um, and Antonioni is quite important to him. For example, Antonioni's, 1973 film, I think, on China, Chungku China um, was important in mediating Barth's own relationship to China. Um, so that that closes closes the book in a sense because I think what Barth says in that letter, dear Antonioni, is but is kind of emblematic both of the of the way Barth approaches film. So he finds in Antonioni a kind of sympathetic resonance with his own approach to film. Uh, this phrase. Uh, that he uses in relation to antonio this loving vigilance um which again combines both a kind of expressive language and the critical language um or the the, the theoretical and the affective yeah so that's helpful
1: yes it is thank you very much um okay so maybe to conclude with a with my own my own the thought that arises for me in reading your book about bart and and your own response to that um, we've, we've talked about ambivalence throughout but work on film. Um, yeah. And some might see that as a kind of obstacle, um, something that he couldn't get beyond. He could never make a final decision on his attitude towards film, whether, whether it was an object of love or something that he wanted to uh, separate himself from, to, to get some kind yeah. of distance from in order to um, sustain his, his critical function. Um, yeah. But it seems to me that it that might, be, might be that very ambivalence, his fidelity to that ambivalence, that is the strength of his work that makes it singular, and to use a word that you use and that he uses about Antonio, um, subtle. It, it, his work yeah. is subtle because he is unable to, to take a definitive stance in relationship to cinema. Um, or to put it another way, read in the right way, Bart's work, which is to say not in order to again identify the third meaning or again pinpoint punctum uh, which has been done in a thousand undergraduate essays, yeah. but uh, to, to sustain an interrogation of one's own ambivalence yes. that allows him to, to offer a unique and perhaps indispensable perspective to those who work in, with film or on film theory.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a phrase that Bart uses himself in an early essay um, with reference to again, a face, the face of um, Umberto Di in De Sica's film of that name, Umberto Di, where he mm-hmm. says that what that face proposes is a strictly human interrogation. Um, so I think we can think of that phrase. I don't do this in the book, but I think we could think of that as describing Barthes' approach to film as such, as uh, focused on this ambivalence, not not providing a kind of definitive theory of film or a kind of naming of different objects, but a kind of subtle, <clears throat> A subtle human interrogation, really, which, um, which I think um, one could also see it, see this ambivalence as a constant wish to imagine differently. Um, so to, you know, in the work on the filmic, um, in the third meaning, this idea of the, the other film, the film that the photograms suggest of the film, if you like, to imagine, to, yeah, to imagine differently, to imagine the other film. So to unstick oneself from the lure of the screen by yeah by imagining differently, and I think that's what theory means for Bath. What if, what film theory would mean for Bath would be to would be to speculate and imagine differently. To um, <clears throat> to use theory not as a kind of system or model, but as a as a mode of interrogation. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um. All right. And the final standard question I
2: need to ask you is: uh, What are you working on next? Hmm, okay. Well, I uh, have a number of different projects, but one one which I mentioned was um, this is a quite short short article or series of articles, perhaps on the place of Bataille in Cahier film theory of the time, nineteen um, seventies, uh, the early nineteen seventies. Um, and then I've also been working for some time, and this is a larger project on the question of gesture. Um, this relates to kind of seam that runs through the Bath and Film book. Um, He constantly refers to a phrase by Baudelaire uh, of the emphatic gestures, emphatic gestures. Sorry, in the grand circumstances of life. Um, So the place of gesture in in literature, film, um, French philosophy, psychoanalysis, as well the way in which gestures um, can be, or gesture as such can be captured, theorised, and the way in which it resists that. So. This is a longer project. I think, you know, Bath will come into that. Deleuze also, Agamben. Um, So yeah, this is what I'm One of the things I'm working on at the moment. Okay. Well, thank you very much for giving us your time today, Patrick. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. Thanks very much. (laughs)